0: The following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Ecclesiastes, taking a long look at life under the sun. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com.
1: Hear the word of the Lord from Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say... Keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, What are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him for he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried, They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity because the sentence against the evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well for those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say that this also is vanity, and I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, He cannot find it out. This is the word of the Lord.
0: I'm excited to be digging into this this morning. If you are new, we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible, and we are in the book of Ecclesiastes. It is one of the strangest and most difficult to interpret books in all of the Bible. And the reason it's so difficult primarily is because, well, one, it was written 3,000 years ago, and two, it's a genre of literature that we don't even it's not even around today. You don't have books of wisdom, um, you know, Proverbs and things like that. It's just, a, it's just an ancient form of literature. And so sometimes it's really difficult to interpret. And so we're working verse by verse through it because we think there's a lot of good to be found there. Um, there's actually some gold in this book. And hopefully if you've been with us over the past few weeks, you've found some of that. And I'm going to pray this morning that maybe we would discover some today as well. Father, we come to your word in need. We need the spirit to help us understand it. We need all of our faculties. We need uh, the discipline to to sit and the self-control to be present here and not to let our mind wander, to get up and go to the bathroom, to try to get another cup of coffee, to do all the things that we do to, to distract ourselves. We need to be here right now in this moment. Would you grant us that? We also need the spirit to help us just um, experience what you want us to experience in this moment. That it's not just something you want us to know, but it's a God that you want us to meet. And so I pray that you would help us do that. And Father, for me, the preacher, I am a sinful man myself, and I have my own you know, problems and issues. And so I ask that you would hold me at bay, that you would speak through me, that you would not let my own personality hinder what you would have to say this morning for you love your people, and you want them to hear your word in truth and experience your love in reality today. And so I pray that you would do that for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Solomon is beginning this section today. We're in chapter 8, so get your Bible out, chapter 8, verse 1. And he begins like this. Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? It's interesting. Who knows the interpretation of a thing? Who knows what a thing means? If you know anything about life, life is what happens to you, right? People have said it like this. Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% of how you respond to what happens to you. That's Solomon's way of saying, who knows an interpretation of a thing? I can experience something, but the way that I interpret it often determines how I respond to it, right? The way I interpret a setback interprets how I respond to it. Whether I work harder to overcome it or whether I give up in despair often is determined by my interpretation. And so Solomon is starting off right away today on this topic of wisdom once again. And and Solomon, he's not a formal teacher like we have today. He's a philosopher. And so philosophers, they teach by asking good questions. And this question is meant to cause us to stop and think. And today's topic, of course, is wisdom. And this has been a theme that he keeps returning to in this book. If you remember from chapter 2, Solomon says, So I turned to consider, to study, wisdom, folly, and madness. These are three categories of human living. Last week he said in 719 that wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. So it's clear that Solomon wants us to choose wisdom. He wants us to live wisely Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7, and the King James says this, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all your getting, get understanding. Solomon wants us to be able to identify wisdom when we see it, to love it, to desire it, and then to let it shape our life on this earth, for it is far better than foolishness or madness. Now, madness... You can think of madness as like crazy, but another synonym for madness is when all hell breaks loose. See, when people live their life, not according to wisdom, foolishness is, we know what that is pretty much, doing foolish things. But madness, when all hell breaks loose, that's just living life how you think it should be lived. Proverbs 16.25 says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. When people live their life, however they think right, it ends in madness. All hell breaks loose eventually. And Solomon wants us, he's our guide. He's a philosopher who's trying to help us live a good life. And so he's trying to help us avoid the way of death, avoid the way of madness, and as your pastor, I do too. People ask me sometimes, why are we preaching through Ecclesiastes? It's a downer. It's a little depressing. The reason is because I want us to avoid madness. I want us to avoid foolishness. I want us to avoid the traps that cause us to waste our life. And I think Ecclesiastes is one of the best places to go to study that. But here's what's interesting, as Solomon is teaching us to pursue wisdom. He's about to show us wisdom is not enough to live a full and satisfying life under the sun. See, here's the kind of the quandary here. here here's the hook. We all need wisdom to live in this broken world, but wisdom alone is not enough. The narrow path of wisdom must open up to the great expanse of mystery. Now, what is mystery? In the Bible, that word mystery, it doesn't just mean what we can't understand. Mystery is that which is contained in the secret counsel of God. It's the information that God himself knows because God has planned all things and God is sovereign over all things and God in himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have counseled together and they know everything about everything. And so this secret counsel, this mystery cannot be accessed by human wisdom. It is literally the mind of God. And so Solomon, here it is, spends half his time telling us to get wisdom and the other half telling us earthly wisdom is not enough. You're a parent. This is our job. (laughs) Half of my job as a dad is to drive the foolishness out of my son, to teach him to be wise, and the other half is teaching him wisdom and common sense is not enough. Wisdom will help you keep a job, but wisdom won't get you to heaven, right? And that's what he's doing today. So let's jump into this. Who is like the wise? Who knows the interpretation of a thing? Look at this. A man's wisdom, it's a proverb. A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. What's he saying? Solomon's saying, wisdom has an effect on your face. A man's wisdom makes his face shine. The last words of George Orwell, (laughs) the English novelist, he wrote this in his diary, literally the night before he died. By the age of 50, everyone has the faiths that they deserve. I suspect what he meant by that is a lifetime of choices will shape our souls in a certain direction, which will be reflected for all in our face to see. See, Solomon agrees that a life lived wisely will be evident to others as if it was written all over your face. This is why, and it's interesting. You can take twins and twins in the beginning of a life, they, identical twins, they, they look identical, right? All the way up through high school, they look identical. But if you, can, if you bring twins together at the age of 50, oftentimes their faces are completely different. Why? Especially if one have, has lived wisely and one has lived foolishly that our choices in life affect our face so solomon's first point is this wisdom helps us flourish in a world that is broken he expands upon this first point by applying it to how we relate to the authority in our lives At the time this book was written the ultimate human authority was of course the king And the Near Eastern king, like all human leaders, is flawed. And nothing can be more frustrating. If you've experienced this, nothing can be more frustrating than working for a person who has power but lacks wisdom. Let's let's read this. Verse two, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Now, this is what's hard. When you're working for a person who lacks wisdom, who maybe he's flawed, she's flawed, who makes mistakes, and you're an employee and you're under their authority and they're making mistakes, how should you live in this scenario? What should you do in this scenario? Well, honestly, it always depends, right? That's what wisdom is all about. Wisdom isn't just knowing the right things. That's knowledge, actually. Wisdom is knowing how and when to say the right things, to do the right things. It's the ability to know what to do in a complex situation that might not necessarily have a black and white answer. And so let's look at Solomon's advice He says, keep the king's command because of of God's oath to him. What does that mean? He means this, your boss is your boss because God put him or her there. That's what it means that God is sovereign. So most of the time, you need to do what they say to do even if you disagree with them. I coach and teach and shepherd a lot of young people who get fired a lot because they tell their boss their opinion a lot. And your boss, unless he asks for it, doesn't want your opinion. Solomon says, let the king do what the king does and keep your opinions to yourself. It's going to go better for you. But keep looking, keep reading. Be not hasty, To go from his presence. What's he? Listen, your boss does things you don't want to do. Don't quit. All right, young guy, young gal. I get it. You don't like it. You could do it better yourself. I get it. Don't be hasty to. I'm out of here. Right. Walking out of John Deere. I'm starting my own company. Good luck with that. Right. Keep reading for the word of the king is supreme and who to say who may say to him what are you doing how many times if not in our vo- voice in our heart we've looked at our boss and we said what are you doing whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. So if you just, if you obey your boss, it's a good thing, as long as it's not leading you into sin, it's a good thing. And the wise heart, here it is, will know the proper time and the just way. So what he's saying is here, if you've been given an ear to the king, if you've been given a position in the company or an opportunity to give advice to the king, to your boss, you need to use wisdom. Don't be a people pleaser that just tells your boss everything he wants to hear. Yeah, it's going great. Everybody loves you, right? And it's been going poorly for a long time. But don't just say, all right, man, here's 10 ways that you're an idiot. I've been working on this for six months. I mean, actually, I've got my list here. I posted on the company bulletin bulletin board a long time ago, right? He says, no, you need to use wisdom. You need to, quote, the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. The right way, the right timing. And then keep reading, verse six. For there is a time and a way for everything. Here's so- here is where Solomon he begins to push wisdom to its logical conclusion. And his second point is that wisdom is not enough. See, this this part reminds us in chapter three and that song by the birds back in the 70s or wherever it was, you remember that? For there is a season for everything and a time for every matter under the heaven, under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. What's his point? There's a time for everything. What's his point? There's a right time for everything, but do you know that timetable? Do you know when you should shut up and when you should speak up? Do you know when you should step forward and when you should take a step back? Do you know the right thing to do in the right moment at all times, in every circumstance? Of course, we don't. None of us do. So wisdom isn't everything. See, Solomon is pushing wisdom to the cliff's edge so that we can learn common sense and earthly wisdom can only get us so far. Yes, we should seek to be wise, but if we follow wisdom, we will quickly realize that it is insufficient for living a life under the sun because there is a whole realm Right there is a whole lot of information. There's a whole lot of things out there that's just unknown, unknowable, and uncontrollable for us. Look at verse seven. For man or does not know what is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? None of us know for certain what's coming down the pike for us tomorrow. Jesus tells a story in the gospels of a guy whose business is booming. The market is blowing up. And he says, man, you know what I'm gonna do? He's a wise man, right? I'm going, I'm crushing it in business. I'm gonna tear my barns down and build bigger ones because I can't hold all this harvest that's coming in. Gains. I'm just crushing it. And Jesus says, you fool. You didn't know that tomorrow your soul will be called of you. You're going to die tomorrow. See, this, how do we know what's coming down the pike? We don't know. So how can if we don't know what's happening tomorrow, how can we know what to do today? Verse eight. No, oh, don't do this to us, Solomon. Don't remind us of this again. Trying to live a happy life. Don't be telling me things like, no man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. See, this is wisdom. We don't know what's coming tomorrow. Takes us to the brink, takes us to the edge. We don't know what's coming tomorrow and we have no power to hold back our own death and to keep our spirit. See, wisdom is good. It helps us live a good life under the sun and it can keep us from unnecessary conflicts with those in authority over us. But wisdom cannot teach us everything we want to know. It cannot stop death for coming for us and it cannot hold our spirit back from going where it goes upon our death. Solomon sums up this point for us in verse 16, if you could skip there for us. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. What's he saying? Burning the candle at both ends. He's trying, he's staying up all night. He's searching books. He's reading, he's watching the world. He's doing everything in his power to understand the sum of all things, to understand wisdom, right? He's looking for it day and night. Then I saw all the work of God. That man cannot find out the work That is done under the sun. We can't figure out life through wisdom. However, much man may toil in seeking, no matter how hard you look, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. You can stay up all day and all night and spend all your energy. You can get all the degrees after your name. I'm gonna say Tell you this. Many of us have found this out. When I graduate, you know, I'm gonna. When I graduate high school, I'm gonna have it, right? We graduate high school, we don't have it. When I go to college, I get a degree. Whew, I'm finally know something. Then, we go and we get did our, get our degree, and we realize, I think I know less than when I started. And then we get we many of us like go on and get our masters. I just finished. Well, actually, finished in three weeks my master's degree. We've and then the promise of the PhD is out there. And, and you realize after every degree, you, you might've picked up a few tools and a few techniques and you might've gained a few things, but you don't have your handle on wisdom. You don't, you, you're not there. You never feel like I've got this in control. I, I can handle this. I have an understanding of things. I have wisdom. It's always out there and you can grasp at it, but you can never really grab onto it says, you're never going to figure it out. Now, this reality, right, leads many people to either despair or distraction. Despair says, life is beyond figuring out. Bad things happen to good people, so I'm just going to give up on life and hate God. Distraction says, just don't think about it. Shiny thing. Right? I can't figure out life. Why do, good thing, why do bad things happen to good people? and Good things happen to bad people? Take a vacation. Buy a new pair of jeans. Just distract yourself from reality. Live life like it makes sense and distract yourself from ways that it doesn't. But here, listen, the path of wisdom is different from both of those. Wisdom, like I said before, is a narrow path that's meant to open up to the great expanse of mystery. Though wisdom cannot answer all of our questions about life, it can lead us to the one who is higher than we are. It can cause us to consider the work of God. And that's what he does here. When I considered the work of God, listen... When you're looking at life, the only way for you to understand everything that goes on in this world is for you to be God. You would need to be capable of knowing everything, of remembering everything, of seeing all things. Can you do that? then you have to admit when a circumstance hits your life that you do not understand, you have to admit you do not know what's best for you right now. This week as I was shuttling my kids around, taking my son um, to the Sacred City youth, I was listening on the radio to a live stream of the CMT Music Awards, and this young lady, Carly Pierce, uh, she's on there and she's accepting an award for Breakthrough Video Video of the Year. And uh, for her song, a song called Every Little Thing. And this song is all about some guy absolutely devastating her. It's about a moment in her life where in her words, she felt that her heart was ripped out and thrown onto the floor. So in this song, she's singing about one of the most painful moments in her life. No doubt, a moment that she thought at the time was the worst moment in her life, that she couldn't see past the pain of this moment, that this was all-encompassing. Everything about this is awful. How could God or how could a good God, how could the universe, how could anything let this happen to me? She says in the song that she would die just to forget it. No doubt that is one of the promises. It's a lie that suicide speaks to us that if you just end it in a moment, the pain can be over, which is completely foolish because what is to say the pain after death is less than the pain in life? But this is what got me. As she was accepting her award for this song. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody. This is a dream come true, blah, 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 right? Doing the, the whole award speech thing. She ends like this. To the guy who broke my heart, thank you. She walks off stage. Now, I want us to think about that for a second. God had both of those things in his mind before she was born. God knew the heartbreak was coming. Pain was on its way. And God knew it would cause her to write the greatest song she's ever written that would literally change her life at age 28. There's probably, I don't know, I don't know when this happened. Could have been 15 years old. 13 years later, writes the song about it. See, that is the mystery of God. That's the secret counsel of God that cannot be reached or accessed by our human wisdom. And the truth of the matter is God is doing this all the time for what is now 8 billion people on this planet. Consider his work. Consider that mystery. See, wisdom cannot answer all of our questions about life for us, but it can lead us to that precipice, lead us to the cliff that we see and we consider the mystery of God. We consider the one who has all things in his mind. He is the one with all the data of the universe. He is the one who is holding it all together and working out everything, every little detail, even bad things. He's working out for the good of those he's called according to his purpose. Now, we need to know this. And we need to to not just kind of intellectually assent to it. Okay, that's nice. We need to believe it all the way down in our souls. Because if we don't, Honestly, we will never follow Jesus. The path that Jesus leads us on is not the path of human wisdom, right? the path of human wisdom is take every promotion, every good opportunity, jump on it. You can do that, right? The path of human wisdom is what's easiest, what's best, what's most prosperous to me right now in this moment what's easiest, what's most comfortable, that's the path of human wisdom. and that's not the path of Jesus. <clears throat> you asked this young lady Carly Pierce <clears throat> 15 years ago, do you want heartbreak or do you want happily forever, happily ever after, right? 15, what do we say? happily ever after. we don't know heartbreak could lead to something Great, something meaningful, something deep. This is what Jesus says. Jesus in Matthew 7 says this. Everyone must enter by the narrow gate. Narrow way, narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction right the way of madness the way of folly the way of doing what you want that way is so wide but it ends in destruction see the gate the opening the life is wide but the end is narrow destruction but the way of jesus is the exact opposite he says for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life that's a it's like when you go to makoka the caves and you shimmy through the cave and you think this is, no, this is bad. This is bad. I could get stuck in here. It could rain and I could drown. And what if my button, I mean, you go going through all of that. You shimmy through and then boom, it opens up to a big cave. You're like, whoa. That shimmying through that little narrow spot was, was worth getting into this new expanse. That's the way of Jesus. It's narrow, it's hard, but it opens up to a life like you've never imagined. Now, for many of us, you might just say, you know what, that, that doesn't sound good. That word narrow, that's a loaded phrase. That's a loaded word. That word today, is, has a, it's nothing but negative. has a negative connotation in our society today. No one wants to be narrow-minded or called narrow-minded or seen as narrow-minded. And no, we don't want to walk a hard path either. But the way of Jesus is a narrow gate and a hard path that opens up to this great mystery of God. Now it's narrow because Jesus, this is what he said himself, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, no one gets to God except through him. Listen, all World religions are not the same. All spiritual lifestyles are not equal. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, claimed to have the power of life itself, then he was crucified and was raised to life again, proving his divinity. If that really happened, which the Bible and history both claim to be true, then we have to listen to him when he says, all ways do not end to God. All ways are not equal. All religions are not equal. The way of Christianity, the way to God is as narrow as Jesus. The only way to get to God is through Jesus. Now, it sounds really compelling and meaningful when you say all religions end in the same place and all religions are the equal. But that statement itself is narrow because when Christianity says, no, we're the only way, and you say, no, you're basically saying, no, the only way is all the ways end in God. Well, that's a narrow path, just like the way of Jesus is a narrow path. And Jesus was raised from the dead and you, you know, have a bachelor's degree. I take Jesus, right? Yeah, you took comparative religions. Congratulations. He's the son of God who beat death. I go with Jesus. See, but here. And then also, so so it's narrow. The path is narrow. It only goes through Jesus. Can't get around him. But it's also hard. It's a hard path because it requires us. Now listen, to take ourselves who we believe we are the center of the universe. And our path, the wide path, Says, do what feels right to you as the center of the universe. The hard path, the narrow path, says Jesus is the center of the universe. I need to follow Jesus. I need to live for God and not myself. That God becomes the center of our life and not our own desires. We have to trust him and literally hang on his coattail and follow his path for us even when we don't understand what's going on. And he leads us into self-sacrifice. He leads us into difficult situations. He leads us into giving our finances and opening up our home and inviting in strangers and, and loving people who are unlovable and living our life on his mission. And that's not comfortable. That's not the life we always dreamed about. But the way is not narrow and hard for eternity. The way is narrow, the gate is narrow, and the way is hard, and then it opens up to the mystery of God. It opens up to the greatest mystery the world has ever known, and this mystery isn't just going to heaven when I die. No. This is how the Apostle Paul. Said it in the, to the church in Coloss, Colossae, quote, the mystery, hidden for ages, hidden for ages. It means all of mankind searched for the mystery. What's the answer behind all things? All through the Old Testament, all through ancient history, people searched for it, they couldn't find it. But listen, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed, To his saints, he's saying this. When the son of God came, he revealed something new to mankind. He revealed the mystery that they were all searching for. The mystery that Solomon couldn't quite put his finger on and he couldn't couldn't quite answer. He stayed up all night searching, you know, taking wisdom to its end, but he could never get to it. What is that mystery? Here it is. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, look, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, it's Paul just piling on adjectives and saying, it's really good. It's really great. Riches, glory, mystery. Okay, we're like, okay, what is it, Paul? It's this. Here's the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is the great mystery? The son of God, by the Spirit of God, wants to inhabit you, wants to live in you. What is that? That you, sinful, foolish, fickle, frustrated, depressed, never happy, never satisfied, you can have access to the heart of the universe. This is a promise that God himself will be personally present with his people. See, Christianity is so much different from every other type of faith and every other religion. And I've studied most of them. Every other type of faith says this, here's some rules, here's some tips, Here's some mantras, here's some things you can do to feel better about your life, mainly therapeutic. Right? Here's some ways that you can tap into a spiritual power. The reason you're not getting the promotion. Right? the reason you can't have a child, the reason that whatever it is that's blocking you from what you want is because you aren't doing something right and here's a tip or a trick or a tactic that can help you tap into this power of the universe and get the life you really want. Every religion is that, except for Christianity. Christianity is totally different. In Christianity, the power comes into you. That's the great mystery. God himself as a spirit, unites himself with us when we trust Christ. See, Jesus and God and the spirit never promise us easy circumstances. He never says we can escape difficulties if we just use the force, Luke, right? Use the power out there to manipulate your circumstances. No, 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 no. Psalm 23 says it like this, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Is that because I'm tapped into some power? I've got the force, so if I see evil, I'm good? Right? No, what does the psalmist say? First off, the valley of the shadow of death is a scary path to walk. It's a hard path. We're all going there, but it's a hard path to walk. Why should we not fear? The psalmist continues. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Has your life opened up to this mystery yet? Have you come to the hu- end of human wisdom and considered the work of God? Like, Look at what Jesus has done for you his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, all of that was so that he could be in you. He could be with you wherever you go. Now, let me illustrate this as I close. One of the scariest diseases on earth and one of the best analogies of sin is cancer. I know almost all of us in this room have been affected by this disease in some way. We've had it ourselves. Our loved ones have had it. We've experienced loss and pain because of it. Cancer is quite literally an enemy within. And it kills us. And it kills us through abnormal cell growth. So, When cancer is in you, literally, its cell growth is growing. There's something on the inside of you that is growing, and if it isn't stopped, it isn't constrained or restrained, then it's going to destroy you. In the first chapters of the book of Genesis, God speaks to Cain. And he says, Sin is crouching at your door and its desire is to have you if you don't master it. That sin is like this, like a cancer. It's something that's in us and it's growing and it's expanding and it wants to have us, it wants to kill us, it wants to destroy us. And if it's left unchecked, it will destroy us from the inside out. This is the same way sin works in our soul if left unchecked untreated. It will destroy us eternally. But God, see, in his mystery, in his infinite wisdom, the God who created us for himself, even after we have rebelled from him and we've infected ourselves with sin, the cancer of our souls, God has given us, he's Entered into the human experience, into human history, and given us the only cure for our souls. And this cure is not simply therapeutic, it's relational, it's personal. God sees sin in our hearts, in our lives, spreading, growing like cancer. And He doesn't give us a pill. He says, the only thing that will drive that out is me, my presence in you, the hope of glory. So God, so Jesus, so the spirit comes into us spiritually. And when he comes into us, man, he's a good house guest. He comes into us and gets to work right away. He starts cleaning. He forgives our sins. He starts straightening and redecorating, and rearranging. He begins to heal areas in our heart, in our soul that have been wounded. His love begins to drive out the pain, the the loss, the bitterness, the shame, his light begins to drive out the darkness in our souls. He begins to purify what we've made dirty, make right what we've made wrong. And Jesus expands, spreads, and grows in our own soul. This is how people change. This is how Christians become different. Jesus comes into our hearts by faith and begins to change us from the inside out into his image. What does that mean? It means you don't just start taking, you know, growing a mullet, right? It's not how Jesus, people always say, he's changing us into his image. We get a picture of like, like what kind of image? Like The hair, the robe? No, no, no the affections of our heart, the characteristics of our soul, the goodness of his personality begins to change us. You can read Galatians chapter five, the fruit of the spirit and the specific ways that he changes us. You, where you once were hard and cold, you become more loving as Christ is changing you. See, people who depict and in their mind they think Christianity is just about heaven, they think somehow they can divorce real life from that. I'm going to heaven, so now I can live however I want to live. You don't understand it at all. If you're not becoming, you're not becoming more like Jesus, you'll never be with Jesus in heaven. If he's not producing and changing you in your soul now, you'll never experience glory in heaven. Christ in you, the hope of glory. My hope is in Christ who's in me, making, him, making me into his image right now. And though, man, small measures, right? Stop, start, stop, start, fail, repent, fail, repent, right? That's what it looks like now. But if it's not going on, if I have no problem living in sin, if I have no desire to repent, if I have no desire to live my life for Jesus and take the narrow gate and the hard path, I can promise you, you won't accidentally end up in heaven. God, through his spirit, Christ in you now is making you more joyous. He's giving you more peace no matter what your circumstances. He's making you patient and kind and good and faithful full of faith full of the ability to trust him in all circumstances it's making you gentle like today you're more gentle than you were 9 months ago 9 years ago 15 years ago he's given you self control This is how God changes us. Christ comes into us. Has this happened to you? Is this, that's better, listen, not just past tense. You've prayed the prayer, get it. Is this happening to you? Are you? Beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus and being changed into his image from one degree of glory to the next. That's the promise. That's the mystery of the gospel. If you'd say, no, you know what, that's not happening to me. What do you do? You you confess that, you repent that to God your Father? And you say, Come into me. Renovate this heart. Renovate this soul. And if you're a Christian and you're like me, who says, Yeah, I am doing that, but I am frustrated with myself, it's so slow being made in the image of Jesus. It's so slow. It's so painful. We think we've won a victory and we realize that thing comes back up and rears its ugly head. Our hope is not in our external observation or or, or our, our ability to obey the law, our external things. Our hope is what? Christ in you. Hope of glory. Son of God will make us like himself. He'll do it. And we come to the Lord's table this morning and we're reminded of it. He's already been broken for us. He's already shed his blood for us. That's how far he was willing to go to be in you. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your gospel. This is good news for us that we can have you in our hearts and our souls by faith. Pray even now you'd give us the faith to believe that. Give us an awareness of your love for us, of your care for us. No matter what we're going through and we will walk through difficult things, you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. we come to your table this morning, Jesus, you said that we were to do this as often as we come together to proclaim the Lord's death. That you died so that we could live. You were judged so that we could be forgiven. You were pushed out so that we could be brought in. You left heaven and came to this earth so that heaven could come into us. Thank you for this. May we confess our sins and turn from them and eat with joy and worship. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.